Hello and welcome everyone. My name is Andrew Krauss. I'm one of the co-founders here at InventRight and you're going to be hanging out with me for a full hour or at least part of it um, and I'm going to be answering your questions about licensing your inventions for royalties. So just to be clear what this channel is about, what InventRight is all about, what we coach our students to do is license their products for royalties and so what's the benefit of that? The big company you license to it's their money it's their workforce. You don't need to raise money. You don't need to hire people because they have people. And you tap into their existing distribution. Never underestimate that. You might be in 30,000 stores. Then you'll be in 30,000 stores. So you're tapping into money, workforce, and distribution. It's a beautiful thing. You dump the whole thing on them. It's their responsibility. And guess what? If they don't perform, you get it back. You're never selling your idea. You never, ever want to say that. You're licensing it, which means to rent or lease it if they don't perform you can always take it back. Um, you also never want to say, I want to sell you my patent. Anyway, we'll get into that and a whole bunch of other stuff. Oh, and by the way, many of our students license their products with a $75 provisional patent. Do not think, I talked to a guy today that said, well, I can't license this without an issued patent. I'm like, who told you that? Um, or I've got a, he actually said, well, I filed a provisional patent, I'm thinking about paying to upgrade to a full utility. I said, well, when did you file the provisional patent? He's like, oh, it was a couple of weeks ago. I'm like, why wouldn't you take the whole year the patent office gives you to fish off the pier and see if there's any interest, be able to say patent pending. So we save people a lot of money. I don't think attorneys like us, but that's okay. I want you guys to like us, not attorneys. And more importantly, I want you guys to do the right things so you can license your product. It's not about whether you like us or not. It's about whether or not we're offering good, solid advice that works. And I think we are. We've been doing this for 22 years. We get students licensing stuff all the time. So let's jump in. If you have a question, type it into the chat sooner rather than later, because I can never get to everybody's questions. It takes a while for everybody to file in. So let's get going here. Um, let me go ahead and post this real quick. Click Post and these two guys. All right, good deal. That is done. Um, my two cents, who is a regular, uh, said, Andrew, uh, first, thanks for your time. Uh, when I'm doing my PPA, do I have to use drawings? Can I use photos with text added in Photoshop? You absolutely can. So, uh, and by the way, um, I'm just legal disclaimer anything I share with you today should not be considered legal advice. Please consult your attorney if you're looking for legal advice but we are very practical around here. So a provisional patent application has no formal requirements. You could scribble on a piece of paper, send it into the patent office, they would accept it, okay? Does that mean you wanna do that? No, you don't. Um, you wanna do a good job, but if you ever looked at a patent and you're like, I looked at patents before, Andrew, I could never do that. Well, you don't need to. The patents you're looking up have been written by patent attorneys. A provisional patent application can be written by the layman. Actually, that's what it was intended to do. You can write it in common English. And so as far as um, uh, my two senses um, question goes, you there are no formal requirements for drawings. You could do a line drawing. You could take a picture and throw it in there. You could do whatever you want. It will be accepted. So with that said, there's a couple of things. You want the pictures to be clear. So if you take pictures and they're super grainy and the lighting is terrible and you can't see things properly, if, you have, if you're putting a picture in, that's not good. Now, the benefit of doing a line drawing, which there are some software programs where you could bring in um, a picture 
and the, just apply a filter and it will do a line drawing for you and you can erase the rest of it. So you can do that. That's getting a little techie. Some of you guys don't have those skills. It's not necessary. I just wanted to throw it out there. But the benefit of doing line drawings as opposed to pictures is they can kind of look like patent drawings. Now, you if you paid a professional patent illustrator, that would be a waste of money because with patent drawings, they need to be done like literally if this dotted line isn't like this or that, you're, the, the, pat, the patent is toast and the patent examiner is going to come back and go, you're not complying with all the many, many specifications that you need to do patent drawings just a certain way. Now, provisional patents are not like that at all. You could throw a picture in there. It could be a line drawing. But the benefit of using a line drawing is it kind of looks like a patent. So the marketing person you're sending this thing to is looking at it and go, oh, this guy's very professional. Now, if they see pictures in there, they're going to think you're unprofessional. No, I don't think so. And as far as protecting you, a picture could do just as good of a job. But it kind of creates an impression when you do a line drawing. Um, so you don't need a professional patent illustrator, nor would I recommend you pay all the money to do that because that's expensive because they're used to doing it just a certain way. But if you wanted to pay somebody to do a line drawing or you, I, some of our students, they'll literally take a, a picture of something similar, tape it to the bottom of a glass coffee table, shine a light up through it. This is something old school that we used to teach our students back in the day. Put a piece of paper on the top and you can kind of see the product um, because you're, you got, again, uh, uh, something you printed up on your computer. You taped it to the bottom of the glass table and then you shine a light up through it. And then you put, you're creating like a transparency table. And you put a piece of paper or tracing paper on top of it, and you can trace over top of that and make some changes. Um, or you can bring it into a software program, or you can do it free, freehand, you know. Um, and you can find somebody to do this. So that's the benefit of having line drawings. But there's absolutely no regulations, nor do I think it would make that big of a difference if you included some pictures in there. It'd only be like it's a very difficult industry where they're very anal about patents and you want to create an impression you know your impression you're creating is with your sell sheet or video your marketing piece and they don't even want to see your provisional patent and if they were intrigued enough by that marketing piece if you had a provisional and you had some pictures instead of line drawings do i think that would hurt you i would say 95 times out of 100 no but there might be some companies that are really anal about patents and Oh, what was this really a you know good? I wouldn't worry about. Would, would it protect you just as much? Yes, um, because as long as the pictures are very clear and well lit, and it's clear what they're looking at. But sometimes line drawings are they're more definitive, you know, and um, you don't have all that gray area. I mean, you could you could literally take a product on the market, put some clay on it to make this extra feature, kind of spray paint it, take a picture of it, and it would illustrate. Um, what you were trying to accomplish if you did it right. So uh, my two cents, I can use the line drawing filter in Photoshop and make the photos black and white first if that would work. Yeah, I would probably recommend that in most instances if you want to do that. So um, not everybody has that skill. Um, yeah, but you don't have you don't have to pay somebody to do that. Uh, now, I wouldn't just when you convert it, you know, and it will you can see the lines and the shading and you could probably erase so that the, the middle part, so it looks like a full on line drawing. So, um, so I just read people's handles. If you don't type your first name, if you want to type your first name in there, I'll read that either way is fine. Uh, next person's handle is wonderful and prosperous. Hi, Andrew, would or should a licensing company ask 
I don't know what a licensing company is. A licensing company asks for professional renderings or drawings of your product. If so, what would be in a roundabout cost for this? Okay, sounds related. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think I pretty much answered that. I think what he means by, and some of you guys don't know the terminology yet, and that's fine. When you say licensing company, I think, oh, one of those invention scam companies that scam inventors out of money saying they're going to sell your idea for you and they don't do anything. Um, but I think what he's talking about is the company you license to. So just some terminology. As the inventor, you're the license or, O-R, license or. And the company you license to is the license E, E-E, okay, the licensee. Inventor's license or, company you license to is the licensee. I, I'm 99% sure that's what you meant. So, um, yeah, you could find somebody. Um, we do them. If you go to inventright.com and you go to our design department, we do line drawings for folks. You can get them done elsewhere too or you can do them yourself. So I do think it's nice. Steven talks about it a lot. It just makes the PPA look very professional, but it's absolutely not required. And if nobody shows interest in your product, they're not even gonna see your PPA. At that point, if they're really interested in your product, I don't think having line drawings or pictures in your PPA is gonna make a big difference, but it, it just looks a little extra professional. So that's the way I'll, I'll put it. Um, Wonderful and Prosperous also says, Andrew, I have two companies that are interested in my product. The first one is well-known brand um, in the power tool sector, and I would have to pay them to use their brand name. Is that wise? I think you're a little confused or we just, you know, it's just a question you type. So if you're licensing, you would never pay the company that you're licensing to. Let's say it's Black & Decker or let's say it's Ryobi or whatever. You wouldn't pay them a dime. They're going to license the innovation from you, sell it. They're going to use their money, their workforce, and sell it where they sell all their products already and pay you a royalty per quarter. All right. So what you're describing is basically brand licensing. It's like that. And I, unless you're a very large, very well-off manufacturer, they're not going to do this with you. So we, some companies, what they'll do is, um, like I saw Jeep did this the other day. So there I saw Boombox. And this boom, if you guys still know what a boom box is, but it was a boom box with speakers and a CD player and stuff. And it said Jeep on it. Well, Jeep didn't make that. 99% sure they didn't. They licensed it to a company making boom boxes and they got to pay, they had to pay the company that's making the boom box, Jeep, a royalty to put the product on there. So wonderful and prosperous. If you're manufacturing products and you're big and you've been in business a really long time, or at least three years is the bare minimum then yeah, you might be able to license the name of that tool brand. You got to meet the style sheet, the quality and all that. But my guess is that's not you. So there's something off here um, with them wanting you to pay or you needing to pay them to use their brand. Um, and I think, you know, this is what the licensing expo is about in Las Vegas. It's all the people that have booths are people with brands like Disney, NFL, NBA, you know, Jeep, um, some tool name brands and they're there and guess who the people are walking around manufacturers that say, Oh yeah, we want to manufacture products and pay these well-known brands a royalty. So they're getting paid a royalty to use the name. It's just instead of you getting paid a royalty to use the invention. Um, but unless you're a very large manufacturer, they're not going to license to you anyway. Even if you had the money, they're going to go, well, you're not established enough. You're not big enough, but that's called brand licensing. Um, but I don't know what the case is for you. Uh, Roaming Tortoise is also a fairly uh, a regular. Marcus, uh, name, name's Marcus. Sorry, Marcus. Uh, 
for LinkedIn, would a company care how extensive your profile and accomplishments are? Um, not really. I don't think accomplishments are something you need to be posting on there. I don't find like getting endorsed by other people is really important. Um, now, I think that having having a LinkedIn profile with no profile picture is unprofessional. You know, you got to have your profile picture, maybe a non-stock background. It's very easy to put something up there. And then having um, a good tagline or other co-founder, Stephen Key, has been talking a lot about this lady, which lately, which I really like. Um, the tagline underneath your profile, which is like your title, is, um, I think, very important. So if you were, let's say you were working on automotive aftermarket products, um, you could say product developer specializing in automotive aftermarket innovation. So then you got your automotive product and they look at profile. Oh, yeah, he's our people, you know, sort of thing. You can keep it general if you're working in many different industries. And you could say professional innovation product developer or something like that. But Stephen's been talking about lately, if you're in a particular industry, why not make it look good for that industry? So when they look at your profile, so that's the big thing. And then if you just have five connections, you know, it's nice if you have a decent amount of connections, you know. So and those connections don't need to be people, everybody you want to connect with. People don't understand how LinkedIn works. You can connect with a ton of people. Like if you connect with me, I have, I think, close to 11,000. Stephen has around 16,000. So all 10,000 of my people and 16,000 of Stephen's people are now 26,000 people are your second degree connection once you connect with us, which would be happy to connect with you. Um, so you want to connect with people who aren't necessarily the people that you're going to be licensing to. If you do that, they might look at it and go, damn, like he has five contacts. You know, I think once you get to like 100, which you can get there very quickly and very easily, um, I think then you're, start, you're ready to start reaching out. Even like 50 would probably be OK. All right. Um, so, yeah, I do think that's important. But accomplishments, they don't care. They just care what you're showing them right now. You don't need to have a list of accomplishments up there or anything like that. Not at all. It doesn't make a difference. Don't let that hold you back. Um, let's see. Okay. M. Penny said, I have great hardware and content ideas. I don't know what that means. Hardware, I don't know if you're talking about hardware like hammers and nails or hardware like computer hardware and then content. So I don't, how should I launch fast? I don't know what types of products you have, M. Penny. So if you could be, don't disclose, don't anybody disclose your inventions, but give me a little bit better idea of what area you're working in. I don't have enough info to go there. Um, Ivy said, love these Monday chats. Thank you, Ivy. appreciate that. Um, Monkey Man says, if I have, if my device is an electronic device do i need to put the technical schematic drawings in the patent application um no quite often you don't what you need to do is figure out your point of difference and 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 you do need to put that in your provisional patent application so whether that's getting super technical or not um you know it could just be the way the product is it's not the schematics but what you're accomplishing you know, if you have the schematics, you can put them in. But if you don't, do you want to spend a ton of money with an engineer to get all those details when the company you license to might do the electronics differently than you? So look at the core benefit that you're offering and talk about that core benefit. 
Um, if you're an electronics engineer and you want to throw those in there, great. But is it worth it to spend the money when you're spending $75 on a provisional pad? Um, probably not. Um, so without getting into the details, I can't tell you the specifics without knowing your invention, of course. Um, let's see. Yeah, the second part of his question was, or can I just have the use and purpose of the device pending without the technical schematics? You absolutely can. You absolutely can. Um, uh, Derek said, hey, Andrew, the company I've been dealing with is making a second prototype to confirm function and get solid cost estimates. Is it normal for a company to make more than one prototype? Um, you know, I, I say quite frequently uh, they'll mess around with how it's going to be done and then they'll get some quotes overseas, but it doesn't always, most of the time, require them to make a prototype to do that. But I love that they've made a prototype to get some quotes. Now they're going back, making another prototype to see if they can get some better quotes, maybe better price, working on the engineering. Getting a company spinning their spinning their wheels, working on that, actively engaging it, it's nothing but a positive thing. Now, what you want to do is actively talk to them about whatever issues are coming up, because even though they're very smart engineer wise, quite often in a lot of other areas, sometimes they come to these conclusions and the inventor is like, OK, they told me this, like, it's pretty obvious how this is going to be done. You make a suggestion, they're like, oh, yeah, we could do that. And they might just not have the creativity that you have. So if you can be involved in that, great. Sometimes they don't want you involved in it. But if you can, that's always better than not. Like ask them what the problems are and say, can you present the problems? I might have a solution. Um, and they might say, no, no, we're good. We can, we can figure this out. Or I might say, yeah, sure. I'll show you, tell you what the problems are. So staying involved is very, very important there. Um, if you can be. Uh, Valentino said, hello, Andrew. Is there a more specific term for trade shows? I've tried searching for some local ones, but they describe all sorts of different ones like automobile, et cetera. So first of all, most of you aren't going to find a local trade show. When I talk about trade show, I'm talking about the trade shows in Las Vegas. They're all, most all of them are in Las Vegas or Chicago, and a few are in Florida or LA, and that is it pretty much. There are some exceptions, of course. I've seen some four by four trade shows like in Colorado or something like that. But this isn't, when we talk about trade shows, these aren't shows for the public. These are shows for companies. So they're not like the local home, home and garden show where, where the mom and dad and the kids show up and they're walking around trying to buy different stuff. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about trade shows where typically retail buyers will show up and manufacturers are there and they're looking for new products for their store. Okay. Um, so you're not going to find one local unless you live in Las Vegas or Chicago or for a few shows in, in Florida and LA. So there are some websites. I think tsnn.com was one of them um, where it lists local trade shows. Just find a website that lists lo not local trade shows, sorry, lists trade shows and find for the trade shows in that industry. You can also go to find an industry association by Googling for that and they'll say where the local trade shows are. It's not hard to find, um, but you're not going to find a local trade show, like I said, unless you're in Vegas or Henderson. Unfortunately, I, I moved from um, Silicon Valley to Henderson, Nevada, which is right next to Las Vegas. And so like I have the vast majority of trade shows. I'm totally guesstimating is the number, but I'd say 70% of them are here in Vegas. 
maybe 30% in Chicago. I'm totally making that number up. I don't know the exact stats. So for me, it's very easy to go to local trade shows. Um, I should probably go into more than I do. Sometimes I'll go there and I'll find different companies to bring on our Bridging the Gap sessions for our students. So we'll invite CEOs and marketing managers and our students get to meet them personally on Zoom. That's part of our coaching membership, which is fun. And so I'm starting to do that more. Um, let's see who's next. Uh, Brandon. Hi, Andrew. When doing the prior art search portion of a market search, why, why is it suggested to focus on the specifications instead of the claims? I think it's good to look at all of it. I think it's important to look at the claims as well. I would look at all of it. Um, I think my best advice when you're looking at it is realize you're not going to read some of these because sometimes attorneys, they make it a good patent is written so anybody can understand it. But a lot of attorneys, they make it more complicated, sound more complicated, maybe offer the same level of protection to impress the client. So the client doesn't know what's going on. And it's not so the client doesn't know what's going on to say, oh, look at the value I gave you. But real good patents, anybody should read it and be able to understand it. Um, but that's not how a lot of them are written. So um, I would definitely, um, this is my advice. When you read a patent that you think is of concern, and most of the time it won't be, uh, most of the time, you know, read it like you have obsessive compulsive disorder, the specifications, the claims, and you're like, I don't know what the hell they said, and read it again, and read it again, and read it again, and oh, they're just talking about that hook there. Well, that's not a problem. I'm, I can get around that, or my doesn't even affect me, you know? Um, so, uh, but don't just read it once and go, I don't know what I'm, you got to read it a couple times. And the vast majority of the time, the patent that you thought was an issue will not be. Okay. Um, and so don't just look at the picture and go, Oh, it looks the same. Oh my God, I'm screwed. No, no, no. So it's, what did they protect in there? And also the other tip I'll give you, a lot of people get confused when somebody files a patent. After 18 months, patents, it usually takes the patent office a year to three years to get back to their attorney and the inventor. And then the patent examiner and your attorney have an argument, which is called office actions. So if your attorney's filed a patent for you, and after 18 months, it will go public regardless of whether or not it's been examined yet. So sometimes people freak out. They see these pending applications that go public after 18 months because it's fairly common a little less common now that um, that will go public before it gets issued, right? And so the inventor looks at it and they're like freaking out. Oh my God, this guy has such strong protection. And I'm like, this is just pending. None of these claims have been issued. This patent is still pending. And they're like, oh God, thank God. So make sure you understand how to look at a patent and see that it's issued or it's pending. And don't freak out if this patent, because the claims that a patent attorney will try to get for the inventor are like the, the sky, right? And then they'll have an argument and they might get like one-tenth of that, right? Or the words may be changed. So make sure it's not something that's pending. Make sure that it's issued. And then when you go through it, pick it apart. And, and I've found that most people, even if you're not super technical or what have you, if you read it many, many times, like a claim or specifications, and you're like, oh, that's it. Like, okay, that's not going to be a problem. And it might, or you might affect you, but you're like, well, I can work around that. I can see they were so specific with what they protected. I could just do it another way and I'm good. 
And the it's very rare, I'm telling you guys this, it's very rare that one of our students that um, a patent will get in the way. It's very rare. Um, so if you do your market search, everything is in the marketplace, and then you see what's out there, and then you're like, okay, there's no issues there, and then you do your patent search, um, it's very rare that you'll find something. Now, you might find something in the market search, go, oh, that company has something there, and I'm going to look up their patents, and then you, you you dig down deep. And it's also, so it's rare that a patent is an issue, and it's even more rare that you can't work around it. So some of you may be going, well, damn, Andrew, then everybody can work around me. No, a lot of patents are garbage. And here's why. The inventor didn't go to the attorney. Here's my widget. And here's all my variations. Like this is what the version I want to sell. But here's all the other ways it could be done. The, the inventor made a mistake when they did that with their patent attorney. And they should do that. Most Almost no inventors do. Now, a good patent attorney will say to that inventor, well, look, if you want me to do a good job, you can't just give me your widget. You got to give me all the variations of it too. And people falsely believe that the attorney will take care of that. And most often they won't. And some of them, the bad attorneys, they won't tell the inventor, look, you need to give me the variations because they're afraid of losing the job. Well, that's your job. Why are you asking me to do your job for you? Well, that inventor is wrong. And so, so then you have garbage in, garbage out. So when I say that you can work around a lot of patents, it's because the inventor gave garbage or the company did. And then the, the attorney did not do those variations. And so now you can get around it. Now, our students, we teach them to think about all the variations, workarounds, improvements. And there are, I'm not telling you there aren't inventors or companies out there that didn't do that. A good a, inventor, attorney, company will do a good job of that. But a lot of it, they don't. So don't think because I say this, now people can work around you. If you think about the variations, workarounds, improvements, you'll have a better provisional and a better patent. Okay. So that's always, I would say that, well, then people work around me. No, not if you do a good job. And see, that is something that should come easily to you because you're creative, right? So now here's the problem. Inventors lose their creativity because you've been thinking about this thing for two months, two years, however long. You're like, this is what it is. This is what it is. And that's great for the marketing if you feel like that's putting your best foot forward. But you need to think about the variations, workarounds, improvements when filing your provisional patent or your patent. And if you don't do that, you're not doing a good job. And our students do a stellar job of that. And you need to do that too. Okay. Um, let's see. Okay. That was from Brandon. Great question, Brandon. Um, raising standards said, hi, Andrew. What do you suggest about the process of perfecting your idea, hence wasting time? You know, I, I think that if you're perfecting your idea based on the marketplace, that's key. So if you have this new magnetic doorstop or a new barbecue spatula, you need to know all the magnetic doorstops, all the barbecue spatulas out there. That's a micro category that's doable. You can't know all the products having to do with doors. You get overwhelmed. Or all the barbecue accessories, that's going overwhelmed. But barbecue spatula, magnetic doorstop, not any doorstop, magnetic doorstop, barbecue spatula, but not every barbecue accessory in the world. That's something that any of you can do. And so then if you're going to refine your idea, it should be based on what else is out there, not just your thoughts for what is a good product. And so doing that, I think, is worthwhile. But, you know, once you got that core, what the benefit is, and you got your point of difference, perfecting can mean prototypes and making it perfect. Now, a good marketing piece is way more important than me, a good prototype. 
because quite often it's obvious how it's going to be made. So yes, some people get obsessive about making this perfect, beautiful, production-ready prototype and thinking about every little tiny little thing. No, if you're catering and you have a point of difference based on the other products in that space, you're good to go, okay? And you could be only 70% sure it can even be made. That's good enough for us. Um, so yes, being a perfectionist can really mess you up. But then at the same time, not studying the marketplace, that's just stupid. And because people are like, I don't want to see. Well, guess what? When you approach uh, marketing managers of companies, they know what's in that space. So if you just kept blinders on, like you wasted your time reaching out to 30 companies, you wasted time on a provisional patent, you wasted time, you know, on your sell sheet because you didn't cater it to the marketplace. So um, doing those things good. But yes, I see so many inventors wasting too much time and because they don't know how, you know, and that's where our like coaching comes in because we're just holding hand all these little, oh, you're worried about, don't need to worry about that. If you want to worry about something, worry about this and here's how to take care of it. So that makes, it seems to make a giant difference where other people just go round and round and round in circles on their own. Um, so it can be a really big problem. Um, getting obsessive and being a perfectionist can be a really big problem. So thank you for that question. Uh, Ali Pro said, I am looking to pay a freelancer for CAD drawings for my PPA as per Stephen's advice. Um, how much, well, that's not really our advice. That's not our advice at all. So I'll clarify on that. How much information should I give them without giving the idea away? So we talked about this at the top of the hour about um, having line drawings, but you don't, you could pay somebody that does CAD to do some simple line drawings for you. But here's what you could fall into. You just want line drawings for your PPA that look good. A CAD guy might go, oh, let's figure all the dimensions and all the details and all the engineering. And it's like, no, you don't need to do that to have some nice line drawings for your PPA. So that can be a slippery slope. It could just be somebody that does line drawings to do line drawings of your product. It could be an artist. It doesn't have to be a person that does CAD. Um, how, much I should, how much information should I give them without giving the idea away? Whenever you hire a freelancer, when people hire us as a coach, when they hire a design department to do line drawings or sell sheets or virtual prototypes, and we always sign an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement. So any vendor or service provider doesn't sign your NDA, you should not work with them, okay? So get them to sign an NDA, then you have to worry about, it sounds like you're worried about them stealing your idea or giving them enough info. You wanna give them enough info to do a good job with your line drawings, if that's what you're doing, right? You don't wanna hold back on that. Um, and anybody that hesitates to do that, I wouldn't work with them. Now I'm talking about, contractors that you're hiring to do line drawings or do something like that. I'm not talking about the companies you reach out to license to. You've got your provisional patent at that point. You've got the paper trail. That's your main form of protection. Um, yeah, Monkey Man said, make sure they that you, you and your freelancers sign an NDA agreement. Absolutely. Um, and I wouldn't work with any contractor that wouldn't sign an NDA. Yeah. Roaming Tortoise said the same thing. Uh, radio station is their handle. It says, in one YouTube video, Stephen said, we should put our inventions under an LLC. What is the best to create an LLC? Uh, when is the best time to create an LLC before we sign up with InventRight or before pitching an invention to companies? Yeah, you know, I don't know why we get so many questions about LLCs. We, I have a very clear answer for you on that. Um, and it's going to depend on your situation. But when you're licensing, you're you're not hiring people. 
you don't have tons of costs, especially if you're using the event right approach. It's not like you're getting all these write-offs, right? When you start a business, you have all these write-offs, right? When you're licensing, you're spending 75 bucks on a provisional patent, a few bucks on a virtual prototype. You don't have all these write-offs. So it's not critical that you form an LLC before you start reaching out to companies. It's just like one more thing to slow you down. Okay. Now in some states you can do an LLC for 20 bucks in Montana or whatever. Don't quote me that that's what Montana is. I remember it's like super cheap. And then in other states, like it's like $800 every year in like California or probably more now. God knows it's California. I moved from California 13 years ago in Nevada. I pay, I think three fifty a year. So it's just one more thing to do. All right. Um, and you're not selling anything right? Are you going to, who's going to slip, somebody going to slip and fall on your sell sheet? Do you have liability there? Not so much. Now, one of the things, and companies don't care, you know, now when you do a licensing agreement, you always, always want to do it under an LLC. So the vast majority of our students, they are reaching out to companies. And then when they get interest, you know, it takes a while, months sometimes for that deal to move forward to a contract. So if you tell the company, look, and you've been using uh, Bob Smith Designs at a Gmail as your company name, which is your full surname. And in all the states I know of, if you use your full surname, that could be your company name, which is your first and last name. Put designs behind it. Works great. You put that in your email signature. Great. One less thing to do. File an LLC. Um, now, if you're rich and you, oh, but but I don't know. If somebody could sue me. Well, you're not selling anything. It's possible. You might want to do an LLC before. Okay, but I've never seen one of our students get sued for anything, um, let alone having an LLC trying to license and then somebody suing them. Like, I've never seen that happen. Could happen. So, when you're in the midst of a deal, if you, if you did it, Bob Bob Smith Designs, and you put that in your email signature, and you tell them, "Look, I want to do this deal under Bob Smith LLC or whatever company name LLC," and you file the LLC when you're in the midst of a, a deal that looks like it's going to go through, they could care less. They just want your product. Okay. So what I'm saying is it's something, and again, this is not legal advice. Please seek the service of an attorney. If you're looking for legal advice, it's something you could do in the midst of your deal. It's one less thing to do. You don't have a tons of write-offs with licensing because we teach you to spend next to no money. So um, now if you are spending a lot of money or have spent a lot of money, you know, you, you might, you might want to do that. If you have extreme reasons for wanting to totally protect yourself, but it's like when you're selling products to the public, which you are not, um, but when you do a licensing deal, I'm, I know I'm jumping around here, you absolutely positively do not want under your own name. You always want under, under an LLC or a corporation. Um, but do you need to do that right now when you're just trying to get started? It's one more thing to do. No. Is that legal advice? No. Could your situation vary? Yes. Okay, so that's my answer, all right? Um, and I don't know why, like when we do the Q&As, we get so many questions on it. It's a good question, um, but I don't, I don't know why we get so many of those. Um, Wonderful and Prosperous says, um, some prospective licensees will check your business credibility on Dun & Bradstreet to make sure you're legitimate. No, not really. They really don't care. Um, and also Dun & Bradstreet, like, I don't know, is InventRight listed on Dun & Bradstreet? And that stuff is so inaccurate. These business listings on Zoom Info and elsewhere, it's ridiculously inaccurate. I looked up ours. I'm like, well, that's not that's not us. So um, I, I don't, I haven't ever found that to make a difference. It makes no difference whatsoever. No, I disagree. So um, 
Uh, Armando said, uh, when doing improvements on an existing product, do we have to share royalties with the original owner of the product? Um, well, the original owner for the product may just be the company you're licensing to. You know, if there's another company, inventor that licensed that product to the company, yeah, it's very rare. Um, but no, you wouldn't normally have to do that. Um, now, if what you're saying is, so you guys shouldn't be inventing stuff that's just for one variation of a product that already exists. So if, if one company's selling this and you got a variation of it and they have a lockdown patent on it and they're the only licensee, like you're it's kind of a waste of time to work on that. But if you could license it to them and 20 other people, then go ahead and work on it. That's my viewpoint. Um, so you shouldn't, you, when you license, you don't, work on a product only you can only license to one company i see inventors doing that but most of the time i look at it and i go well and everything's not patented and i'm like well that, that company's selling that yeah that could be a potential ico improvement on it but you know if you take a look at whatever patent they filed if they filed anything at all it's like well but you could license this 20 other other competitors too the improvement but you're right if if you have an improvement to theirs and you don't have another version of it where you're patenting mm -hmm. on top of what they did and you're not going to be able to use that core product. It's like, why are you working on that? Now you could try to call that one company. You're going to file a PPA, make a sell sheet for one freaking company. That's not very smart. You're not playing a numbers game there. And it might. And so I tell that to people, and then they show me the product, and I'm like, yeah, you can work around that. But if you can't, you got to wonder, is that worth working on? And you're not really using all the things that we teach you. And I know most of you are an InventRight student, so maybe we haven't taught you all that, but that's what I'm teaching you now. Okay. Um, so hopefully that, that was a great question, Armando. I'm getting thirsty. Um, hmm. I love this one. Waleed said, um, hi, Andrew, what is the best way to boost creativity and find a lot of products? I love this question, guys. Almost no inventors do this. This is the best way to invent from scratch because I have an experience in electronics, um, more creative in products that depend on electronics, but when it comes to tools, I find myself less creative. Okay, Wally, this is the way you can invent in tools, piece of cake, okay? All of you guys can do this. All of you guys should be doing this, but almost no inventors are doing it. Now, most of you are creative enough where you can come up with stuff on your own anyway, but this is a better way to invent. You're gonna have more success inventing this way. Now, most inventors don't invent this way, but it's the best way to invent. So get on Google Images and study a micro category, okay? So I'm just using this as an example lately. And a micro category you can study and become an expert in in two to four hours, okay? I'll give you an example. So studying all barbecue accessories would be overwhelming. You can start with a bigger category like that and look at barbecue accessories and then go, well, what, 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 which one should I spend more time studying? And go, well... Everybody has a barbecue, and don't do barbecue spatulas, by the way. I'm just making a joke about that. I'm just making using it as an example. So you're like, well, everybody has a barbecue spatula, so I'll spend two to four hours studying, bar or you spent half an hour, 45 minutes. You're feeling it, you keep going. Spend the full two to four hours. No invention, no ideas, okay? You're just studying a microcategory. So if you spent two to four hours studying all the barbecue spatulas, all the prices, all the different prices, the different features of them, different benefits, look at the marketing, bookmark all that stuff, okay? And then you're probably tired, 
Now, you may have come up with something while you're looking at all this stuff, but you'd want to try not to invent too much there because you want to focus on really studying the marketplace. And then you probably walk away. And then you, maybe it comes to you in the shower. It comes to you while you're driving. You come back. You look at all your bookmarks. You get all this visual stimulation. This is Google Images, okay? Not regular Google, Google Images. So all the barbecue spatulas or all the magnetic doorstops or whatever it is, all right? And you look at those, and most of you, because of all that visual stimulation, you're revisiting it, you will just invent something. But guess what you're doing this time? You're inventing with the marketplace in mind. You're not randomly coming up with ideas. And you're like, oh, that was done. That was done. And what most of you do is you invent something and then you go, oh, crap, that was already invented. Or uh, this doesn't really fit into what else is here. I don't really have a clear point of difference, but you fell in love with it because you've been thinking about it for days, weeks, or months. So if you just invent this way, you're inventing right 100% of the time from the get-go if you're really studying that micro category. Now, it can't be too broad because, you know, if you study um, a category that's too broad, you can't become an expert in two to four hours. But if you make it more defined, smaller, like not everything to do with doors, oh my God. Not even all door stops, but magnetic door stops. Not all barbecue accessories, but barbecue spatulas. Not, you know, or, or you know, you, you get the idea of the difference between a broader category and a micro category. And you might need to come up doing that a couple times before you come up with something. You may have studied magnetic door stops and it comes to you two months later. You know, you may come back and look at all those stuff you bookmarked. So don't force it. And you could do that a couple times. And that is the best way to invent. And Waleed, you will invent stuff that way if you do that. Now, most inventors don't bother doing this. And so if you guys want to have some fun with it, um, do that. Okay. Uh, their handle, I don't have a name. So um, don't touch me is their handle. Uh, I, I didn't. I swear. I swear I didn't. Uh, company is interested in my product. They want to see my PAPA. Do I have to initiate the NDA talks? You No. So... Companies will ask for things and they're not the right things to move it forward. So if you guys, when a company shows interest, just do whatever company asks you to, you'll probably never close a licensing deal. Now, I'm not saying you're going to fight them. You need to know how to move it forward. And right now, don't touch me. Your, uh, your way of, you want to get on the stupid phone and talk to them. Okay. The fact that they take some time to talk to you on the phone, you start to make this about the PPA, you're going down a rabbit hole. It's not that you don't want to show them your PPO. Oh, they're going to steal my idea. No, it does not move a deal forward. You need to get on the phone and talk with them. You need to know how to ask that. You need to know how to what to say on the phone. That's what you need to do. So if you guys, once you get, you know, let's say we guide you enough, give enough confidence, you know how to reach out there and you don't know how to move a deal forward. You don't know how to have those conversations. The deals will just fizzle out almost every time. You don't want to just send them and you send them all this info. Then they're making decisions on their own. And they're, they are coming to the wrong conclusions. And also making that connection, getting on the phone with them. Now you're a real person. You're not just this faceless, you're not nameless because you have a name in your email, this faceless inventor. Now, and you're engaging and you're creating rapport and they're asking you some questions. So get on the stupid phone with them. That's what you want to do. Do not send them your PPA. Be not because they're going to rip you off, because it will not move the deal forward, okay? And that this is the type of stuff we help our students out with all the time. Um, Eric said, I've created a unique and original product. However, part of the invention is made from previously patented idea. Can I still go ahead? 
It all depends on what it is. I mean, I, I get inventors all the time saying that. I'm like, it's obvious. Just go around it like this, you know? Um, sometimes I get inventors. It's almost ridiculous level. I'll give you a ridiculous level. Oh, my invention uses Velcro. So I do I need to like, get their permission? I'm like, no. The company would just buy the Velcro and stick it on there. And hook and loop faster is generic version of Velcro. You don't even have to buy it from Velcro. And I know that's not what you're talking about, Eric, but that's on a ridiculous level. People are concerned about that. And so maybe those components can be purchased by the company that you license to. And these are all good questions, guys. I'm not giving you a hard time for these questions. These are great questions. Everybody asks all these questions, not a single one. Haven't had people ask before, so they're great questions. Um, and I, I just kind of like, I state it with um, excitement or no, damn it. You know, just so you're like, oh, okay. He's very clear on that. You know, that's the way I, that's why I talk like this. Um, not because I'm being judgmental about your questions at all. Uh, okay. Uh, Misha said, hey, Andrew, can you give me any insight on how you recommend negotiating around having to indemnify the company you're licensing to? What is some ways to bring this up? Thanks so much. Uh, Misha, that's something that comes up at an advanced level of the negotiations when you're very deep into the contract. That is not remotely something you would be bringing up during uh, early stages of a negotiation. So what indemnification is, it depends on what you're indemnifying one party against the other for. So a common indemnification is um, you want them to indemnify you on the way they may, for the product itself. So if they manufacture this product and they put toxic, let's say it's for kids and they put toxic paint on there, they're indemnifying you against liability from a, an unsafe product, okay? from the manufacturer of the product itself. Now, what sometimes they want indemnification for is you need to indemnify us that you're not violating anybody else's patents. I've never seen that be the case where an inventor was violating those patents. And so, and this is way into the contract. So you might want to take another look, make sure, and we get our students sign agreements all the time that don't have that indemnification at all. But if they're insisting that it is in there, you indemnify them against any intellectual property violations, then you might want to do a deeper search with the patent search. But this is not something you talk about in early negotiations. My God, no, that's the wrong deal flow. Wrong, wrong, wrong. You're not focusing on the right things. You're trying to get a deal done. But would it be before you sign that? And if they throw it in there, but do you want to bring that up? Like if they're not asking you to indemnify them against violating somebody else's intellectual property, like why the hell would you want to throw that in there? You know, now if you're really concerned, which is, I think is what you're getting at, Misha, is you're concerned about them identifying you against um, product liability. So as far as product liability goes, I have never had a single one of our students ever get in trouble with somebody getting hurt with a product. So this is why you guys are covered every which way till Tuesday. So first way you're covered is consumers don't even know you exist. So we had a few students recently with a company, you know, on their website, they mentioned the inventor and maybe one or two where they put you on the packaging or in social media, but that's pretty rare still. Okay. So they don't know you exist. And so if they sue somebody for getting hurt, we've had people do ladders and stuff. I haven't even heard of one of our students have uh, a company tell them, oh, we got sued because somebody got hurt on our ladder innovation. I've never heard of that, but that could happen. So but if they're going to sue somebody, they're going to sue the company that sold them the product, not you. Now, they could look up the patent and see who owns the patent and stuff. So 
Um, that's why earlier we talked about you need to, when you do your deal, you don't need to do it now under an LLC, not your personal name. So this LLC, this company, it's empty, doesn't have any money in there. So if they did decide, I have no idea why they would, they're going to sue the company. They got deep pockets. Oh, this is the patent owner. Let's sue the patent owner. I've never seen that in 22 years. Now, if they did, it's under an LLC. But also, in addition to that, it's getting to a ridiculous level here. You're not going to sign an agreement with a company unless you're covered under a product liability insurance. These companies, they need to have a million or two million of product liability insurance just to be able to sell at these retailers. So they have that already. Now, here's the funny thing. They argue about it quite often. Our negotiation coach, Paul, says you have to be covered under their product liability insurance. And the company's like, oh, we can't do that. And Paul's like, no, you can do that. And he's not going to say that to the company you guys are. It won't cost you anything more. And they're like, oh, no, no, it will. It will. Check with your insurance. They check and they're like, oh, you were right. It won't cost us anything more. So they can add you to their million or $2 million or more product liability insurance at no cost to them. So one, they don't know you exist as an inventor. In some rare occasions, they do. If they're going to sue somebody, they're going to sue them, not you. If they did want to sue you, you got an LLC that's kind of an empty shell. So you know, you're just taking money in there and then moving it off to your own personal account. Um, so you're protected there. And you're covered with at least a, a million or two million product liability insurance. I have never seen it be so this indemnification thing is is not as important when you realize all that right now i'm not saying it's not important um but you're not going to be bringing up this indemnification early in a negotiation no no it's all wrong but it's a good question it shows that you understand um some more advanced stuff for the contract but god worry about getting a deal on the table don't worry about that now but at least you have the information now okay um Yeah. Uh, okay. This is Saki said, any chance of simplifying the process of getting a patent? Yes, we've done that. We have, if you go to the patent page on our website, we have some um, software called Smart IP and it's $99 and that's the one use. Our students get unlimited use. Um, and you can file a provisional patent using that. You just pay the patent office $75. So we have simplified that. Um as of now, too many companies charge high prices for patent searches. Um, also, we train our students on how to do your own patent search. We do have a company that you can order through us and we will do a patent search, but you, or you can do that yourself. It's not hard, guys. When we train you and you go through our trainings, you can do a patent search on your own without a doubt. So Saki, uh, if you go to inventright.com and then you click on patents and then there's a link that you'll find out more about our smart IP solution. So you can file your own provisional patent. Uh, let's see. CD said, CDB said question, sounds like CBD oil or something. Uh, question from Chris. I sent my sell sheet to a company and their CEO emailed me with five questions they wrote. This seems like a pretty big challenges. Any thoughts on how I should respond? Oh, okay. Um, you know, I like that they challenged you. I don't like you having to respond via email. It sounds like they're not really that interested. They're like, we don't want to waste our time unless you can take care of these challenges. So you might try to answer it. You know, I would best case scenario, get on the phone with them. Maybe you half answer their questions. Like I, this is the answer to this, this, and this, and these other ones I can get on the phone with you. I, I got solutions to them. 
Um, it, it sounds like they're very uh, challenging. I think it's pretty uncommon that a CEO would email you a cha five challenging questions. That's pretty unusual. I like that they did. That's fantastic. You know where their head's at. If you can solve those problems, great. Maybe, um, you know, if you have a coach, what you do is you talk to our coach, your coach at InventRight and our negotiation coach, and they go over and go, oh, we can solve these. Oh, this one's an issue. God, that's not really realistic. And then you would tell them, you say, well, I don't think that one's a problem, but you'd say it with confidence because you had our negotiation guiding you. So I can't answer. Like most of the time, I would probably half answer part of the questions and then get on the phone for the rest, but I don't know what the questions are. So um, I can't know. Um, keep it real. If you get interest in your product after the six month membership, is there a cost to get access to the negotiation team regarding contact? Yeah. We support our students forever. So there's definitely, we can help you out after the coaching program and we can put you on with Paul to help you negotiate. Um, uh, do you know anything about the website Thoughts to Paper? If so, is it a good investment? I can't, I can't make comments about other companies. Um, there are a lot of invention promotion companies, guys, that I would avoid. Um, and I can't comment on any particular company. That's all I can say. The Federal Trade Commission warns against invention promotion companies. Um, the U.S. Patent Office does, and there's a reason. Um, so when when companies are claiming to do a bunch of stuff for you, it's it's a red flag. Um, I've never met an inventor that had an invention. I'm not talking about this one company at all. I'm talking in general. Um, I've never met an inventor that had an invention promotion company license a product for them ever in 22 years. But we talked to somebody every day, every other day, at the very least, it's been taken for 10 or 12 grand. So go directly to companies, get empowered. Um, don't look for a company to do all this for you. Um, uh, Wayne said, hey, Andrew, about the licensing expo in Las Vegas. We talked about brand licensing earlier in the hour. Um, that is a brand licensing expo that is not right for 99.9% .9 of you. So like I said, the licensing expo there has the word licensing in it. And the vendors are like, hey, I'm going to go to that. I'm like, don't. <laughs> so um, the it's a good expo. I like it. But that's not a place you license your invention. So it's not for licensing inventions. It's for licensing a brand. So the companies that have boosts there are like Disney, the NFL, um, NBA, um, Jeep, you know, comp big companies that want to license their brand out. So who's walking around the show? manufacturers so a manufacturer is making t-shirts boom boxes whatever and like i mentioned earlier that i saw this jeep boom box and you know some company made that for them and then they paid jeep a royalty to use their name so instead of paying uh, an inventor a royalty to use their invention they're paying companies a royalty to use their brand because if it has mickey mouse on it it's going to sell more if it has jeep on it, it's going to sell more so that's what the licensing expo is about so for 99.9% .9 of you, that's the wrong place to go. It's a cool place to go. It's kind of interesting, but it's not, unless you have a manufacturing company and you want to license a brand and you've been in business at least three years and have great distribution, it's not the right place for you. Um, Wayne said, I'm enrolling next week. Oh, great. That's great. You're enrolling with us next week. That's great. Uh, don't touch me. Said, so thank you for the advice. And not touching me. <laughs> That's funny. That's their handle. Don't touch me. You're welcome. We're very appropriate. And I would I would refer um, you to our HR department. I'll, however, if I said something inappropriate, I, I am our HR department. So you'd be in trouble there. Um, but anyway. <laughs> um, 
Okay. Uh, yes, this last one, then we're going to call it a day. Um, you're great, Mr. Mr. Reaction. Um, try not to be too reactionary. Okay, that's a terrible joke. Um, you're great. Question, uh, do you have any advice on fundraising to purchase a pad? Example, I use GoFundMe and I try to explain my goal without giving away the product and advice. any advice. Yeah, don't try to raise money to file a patent, dude. You do not, or do that, whoever you are, you don't need to do that. You've got a tool that the patent office gave you. You can, you can go on our website. You can go to the go to inventright.com, click on patent, buy our smart IP software, which will help you file a provisional patent. The cost is $99. You can afford that. And then the cost at the patent office to file it is $75. So now we're at $175 and you can file a provisional patent. What does that do? It gives you a whole year to fish off the pier and see if there's anybody any any has interest. I don't care how much money you have, you shouldn't be filing patents. Okay. Now there are always exceptions. So guys, don't get offended if you file the patent. But especially if you're on a budget, you don't need to use a GoFundMe campaign. Spend $175, $99 for a software, $75 for the patent office fee. File a provisional, start reaching out to companies, you're good to go. You don't need to raise money for an $8,000, $10,000 patent. You just don't. And you can file a provisional patent yourself. You can do it in common English. I have students that didn't get a GED even, and they were able to do it. So you can do it, man. Um, so there's your solution. And I finished two minutes early. You're, you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> By the way, I raised zero dollars. Yeah. I, 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 but now, now you don't have to do that. So um, I'm glad I could help. I want you guys to do me a solid and... Um, I spent a whole hour answering your very specific questions. Down below, click on the subscribe button. Click on the notification button. If you're already subscribed, don't click on it again. That will unsubscribe you. Um, we'd like to get, I would like to get to 80,000 subscribers in a short period of time. I don't know if we're at 50 yet. I think we were at 40 something. Um, I'd like to get, I forget where we were, but I want, I need more subscribers. And then watch our YouTube show, like all that stuff, comment on it. That's how you could say, thank you, Andrew. You spent a whole hour answering our questions for free. You know, I don't get on here and shamelessly promote our coaching program the whole time. I want to answer you guys' questions, but I hope you don't mind me mentioning it once in a while because that's why you see our students license stuff all the time. I want to remind you guys to take care, keep inventing, go to inventright.com, click on the free resources tab in the upper right-hand corner. That's another thing you should check out and we'll catch you guys next time. See you guys, bye.